Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast! <laughs> New York City, what's up? Uh, we are psyched to be here. This is Gabe Lesra. Um, I'm your host and my buddy, Kian Sabani. Kian, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, it's amazing that you all came out to this live show. A lot of patrons here, a lot of podcast listeners. We've got a chance to put names to a lot of faces that you know, we read on the podcast every episode. So it's really great to see you guys all here. Uh, it's very surreal to also be sitting next to Gabe, who is like 10 feet taller than me. We took, we took a picture earlier, and I uploaded it, and Gabe's head is literally not in the picture. It's like in another dimension. So, um, I mean, we're doing our best to lighten up the mood after a 7-3 yeah. thrashing. Some of you guys were at the game, I was at the game, and the mood wasn't great, so, you know... <laughs> Uh, well, we're going to talk about the game, we're going to talk about some of the news that came in today that, you know, back and forth, what's happening with Hamas, what's going to happen with Bale, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, some of the lineup stuff uh, heading into next season, what the squad's going to look like, how much do these preseason games really matter, um, but also then we'll open it up, we're going to take yeah. some questions, we're going to, you know, just just like a, a normal show, and we'll, we'll break yeah, down I'm the game and stuff, and yeah. Yeah, we're going to do it a little bit more kind of interactive because we have you all here and you can actually ask, ask us and chat with us and whatever. Um, we also have normal questions that, as we say, if you chip in on Patreon, uh, $10, you uh, get your questions answered on the show. So we actually do have some, in addition to everyone here, we actually have some patron questions that we will answer. Um, so we'll do that as well. Yeah. So why don't we jump into the game? Um, no one wants to do that. So I'm looking around, they're like, oh, can you just not do this? We have to talk about it, though. So, um, yeah. Atleti scores in the first minute of the game. How are you feeling about that? At that point, you're in the press box. Everyone's there. What's the mood like? <laughs> so I think it, when that happened, Diego Costa scores in the first minute, you're kind of at a stage you're like, this is not going to be a premonition of seven goals, obviously. You, like It doesn't even go through your head at all. And you kind of see the way it happened, the way Odriozola gave the ball away. Um, he was fouled. You, you said he was fouled. I mean, I, I, I literally did not even see a single replay of that incident, so you may be right. Um, but And then Diego Costa scores. You start to realize, like, after, I would say, five minutes of, of watching Atletico attack, you didn't think to yourself seven goals, obviously, but you kind of felt like... Every time Atletico get the ball, they look like they're going to score. Like, it's actually kind of terrifying. Like, it's... Every time Real Madrid had the ball, they were out of ideas. They couldn't really get into the final third. Every time Atletico had the ball, it was just, like, carving... Car- and this is a team, mind you, that is, like, famous for not being able to attack yeah. Atletico. They literally... Their whole existence is built on the foundation of 1-0 victories. Yeah. And, and I don't mean that in a way to exaggerate. Literally, <laughs> if you go down your schedule, if you... I'm sure someone's made millions of dollars of betting one mil Atletico somewhere because that's all they do. And you look at the way they played under Simeone. Don't take that idea. That's yeah. our idea. <laughs> I don't gamble. I don't recommend it. But um, their whole identity under Simeone, you watch them play, they just they pull back their counterattacks. They slow them down because Simeone doesn't want to put numbers up the field. This is their entire identity. So I don't know if it's... Maybe their mentality is changing and they want to be more attacking this season. I have no idea how much this preseason game means. Um, I do think that there might be a shift um, in their their way of playing because, you know, even signing like someone like Kieran Trippier, who is 
complete unorthodox Atletico wing back. He attacks and he's not really good at defending, which is completely flips, flips the script of what Simeone likes to do. So to answer your question, how did I feel after one nil? Um, I was like, okay, yeah, it happens. It's preseason. You can see yeah. goals. I did not know it was going to be five nil at halftime. Diego, I think Diego also had his hat trick by halftime. I think right. So I mean that that was fun too. And so I will not turn this into the Atletico Madrid podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> Jao Felix blew my mind. I thought he was incredible. Really I just, good. like, his movement between the lines, the way, like, what he was doing on the pitch, which is, was exactly what Real Madrid didn't have on the pitch. Yeah. Um, I'd say Hazard was that player, and he made things happen the rare times he really had the opportunity to, but they didn't consistently have that presence. And the whole Vinicius Jr. on the right experiment just didn't work. Not in that one game, anyway. Um, Owen wrote an article about it today for Managing Madrid. I haven't really had a chance to read it fully yet, but he kind of went over some of the sequences that Vinicius had on the right and, you know, just dribbling into multiple defenders. And uh, they, they pretty much shut him down pretty easily. So those are all experiences we're looking out for because we wanted to see how Hazard and Vinicius would coexist, right? Yeah. And this was the lineup that, the, the attack, oh, the attacking lineup that you were most, yeah. a lot of us were most excited yeah. to actually see, right, with Diovic and Hazard and... Uh, being, right? Yeah. So it it's fair to say it underwhelmed, but I think that frankly, coming out of this match, the talking point is probably that just Real Madrid's defense is just not there yet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, preseason, blah blah, all that stuff. But you'd be right, I think, and fair to be worried at this point in the season. I mean, it's preseason. This is a meaningless match, but it, there's a lot of meaning that we can derive from this match. And part of what preseason is, right, is to take time to get yourself fit, right, both mentally and physically. So it's not just that you're making yourself fit physically, and a lot of these guys, like Dad Bodas are very good, but, like, he needs to, like, you know, stand it up a little bit. But, like, what I saw a lot in the, in the defense was just them not being mentally fit either, like, especially that second goal where that cutback ball goes through three or four plays, like, Real Madrid players who just don't even try for it, and it's just poked in, and that can't happen. And that was just the whole the whole game. The defense was like that, and I don't know if that's you know because Baran wasn't there or, or any of the different reasons, but like this this Real Madrid defense is not sharp physically or mentally, and that I think for me was a huge takeaway, more so than the Arsenal game even or, or the Bayern game. Yeah, I mean like the. A lot of people will say it's just preseason, and I definitely see validity in that point. S- seven goals. I don't care if it's like <laughs> preseason and Champions League. I don't care if, like, if me, you, everyone here did a pickup game this far right now, and I conceded seven goals, I flipped this table. <laughs> I'd be so pissed off. Like seven goals is a lot of goals to concede. Uh, to and, and training and practice or whatever um, in the game. But so I think the the counter to that, like it's just preseason, like you. If, if this was a situation where Real Madrid were flying for, like, two years, and then you have a preseason blip, who cares? But the problem was that I think the context of this loss was also that it's, yeah. it's kind of taken the entire last year or two and just showed all the problems in one game, um, mind you, preseason. And you look at the goals that were conceded, not only that, that the goal of sharp, sure, but, like, you know, you can go down the list one by one, each yeah. goal. First goal, Drizella, giveaway, foul, whatever. Uh, second goal, Modric is so upset with Vinicius for not coming to the ball yeah. and and defending that properly. Third goal was it that Ramos gave it away? Modric like received the pass. 
I don't know if that was a third, fourth, fifth, but I don't know, I lost track. Uh, but like, you go down the list, every single goal had this defensive miscue yeah. that like we saw, we saw so many times. And like, you know, we can we can say we never got punished by seven goals, but we did get punished. And like, you look at that Ajax first, like for example, where Real Madrid somehow won that two one, and because of that victory, I wouldn't say we masked our problems and we didn't talk about them, but. Um, you go through that game like from a tactical yeah. level, and it's just Real Madrid literally trying to tread water, keeping their head above water, surviving this onslaught of pressing, um, not being able to pass their way out of the back, even the ball out of the back, and Ajax just couldn't finish. And so, like, you have a team like again, it's it's weird to talk about Atleti like this again with Diego Costa, who scored four goals yes, uh, that game. The entire last season, he scored five goals, so that in itself was an anomaly. Um, but I mean, like. To, to concede seven goals against Letty, like, there is something there. And, um, you know, so that's that's what worries me a little bit, is just, like, it's not just a preseason game. It's not just preseason. It's just the state of the team. And I think um, Zidane has a lot cut out for him just to get this team, like, with some kind of identity and some kind of rhythm. There's no confidence in the team, you know? So what do you make of the... Um one of the changes they made this year, and I think it's probably not a huge deal, but like one of the changes they made this year was that they changed fitness coaches from uh, mm. Pintus to Grégoire uh, Dupont. Um, and it's not clear to me how the extent to which the Pintus regime was really preparing the players in this exact specific way, but like there has been a change in the fitness coach and shocker, Real Madrid has looked incredibly unfit and incredibly unfit mentally and physically. Do you think, what do you think about, like, does that have anything to do with this? <laughs> I honestly don't think so, but I, I'm not a, this is totally well, people out of, are talking about it. Yeah, it? this is totally out of my realm of expertise, to be honest. Like, I'm not a sports scientist. Like, Jerry, our managing Madrid physio, would probably write a brilliant article about it, but um, I, the reality is under Pinterest, we had a million times a million injuries. Right. So, like, I mean, this season it's starting not great either. Like, the SMCU injury was also a freak injury. Probably to do with that terrible pitch. Oh, we should probably discuss that. Do you want to talk about the pitch? Very brief. Yeah, let's talk about it. I didn't know, but obviously, I think I mentioned this on one of the podcasts, but yeah. someone tweeted at me that Washington Post article that yeah. FedEx Field has, like... It's trash. It's Work. just garbage? Yeah. yeah. It's trash. Yeah, Our that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's FedEx... Hurts, right? There's a whole list of injuries. Yeah, there. and, yeah. like... FedEx Field is trash, and it has a whole history of destroying people's needs in exactly this way. And so what really gets me about the decision in D.C., and this is just the decision by, I don't know who made this call, but to host that match at FedEx instead of the very new, newly built Audi Field, which is where D.C. United play, I just, it blows my mind. And then you see Asensio go down and bust his knee in exactly the same way RG3 did, which um, is a, the Red, uh, Washington, D.C. football club's um, uh, quarterback. You're like, re- everyone loved him. He was really good. And then he blew his knee out exactly the, exactly the same shit, where he's running one, one way and he tries to stop, and then his knee goes out and he just carted off and that basically the end of his career. I mean, it won't be the same thing for Asensio, I, I don't think, because it's a different game. But it is—it's an insane thing to play on on FedEx. It was a, such a dumb, such a dumb decision. But we're not here to talk about that match. <laughs> we're here to talk after about that, yeah. after all that. I just wanted to—I just wanted to get another dig at FedEx because that <laughs> place is absolute trash. It's terrible. Yeah. I hate yeah. it. Yeah. Get out of here. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about 
what I think the solutions might be, or at least a discussion of like, where do you go from getting beaten seven, like getting your bitter rivals put seven goals past you? And is the solution just you make one or two changes in midfield? You hope that Casemiro never gets injured when he gets back, um, and that Varane plays over Nacho. Sorry, John. John is a Nacho fan. Not okay. a Sorry, <laughs> um, no, look, I think the solutions are they're wide ranging, and I think there's a lot of nuance to it. And if you want to look at it holistically, there's no like one cookie cutter. Like you know, this is a solution and easy to fix. If we knew what it was, we would, we would fix it. But I think <laughs> it's it's a it's a combination of tactics. It's a combination of severe rejuvenation that needs to happen within a, a, an aging squad. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it. You can you go back and, and trace these problems to the Ronaldo era, where the team was 17 points behind Barcelona. You watched them attack, they had no idea how to score. Um, a lot of it was just endless crossing. When Ronaldo left, that crossing to Ronaldo became crossing to Lucas Vasquez, yeah. trying, to, <laughs> trying to jump over eight defenders who were just like, oh, this is easy, we just clear everything. Yeah. Like, it's so, it was, it was fresh out ideas. And it's like, we could talk about like, tactical changes that needed to happen. This same group of players went through Lopetegui, Solarian and Zidane, and I, you know, that's those are three wide-ranging philosophies. Yeah. But to the players' credit, also that's part of the problem too. It's like, where's your, where's your sporting vision in all this? And like, in in one year, you have to play through three different philosophies. As soon as you're getting used to one, the coach is gone. You have to start from scratch with a new philosophy. But I think um, we can talk about all the tactical problems. The idea that Real Madrid need to be a bit more creative in their attack, which Hazard, to me, still is a really brilliant signing, and I think underrated in that sense. Like People don't understand how good this guy is at breaking lines. And like you watched Chelsea play last season. A lot of it, in a way, they were just kind of Real Madrid, a poor man's Real Madrid, because they also had the same problems under the Sarri for like the majority of the season, where they couldn't attack. They had a bunch of possession. They didn't know what to do with it. They couldn't penetrate the final. Yeah. Hazard would literally take this broken offense and just put it on his back and carry the team, score goals, and he's not even a goal scorer. So, a uh, little tangent, but Hazard, will, I, I believe, will solve a lot of these problems. But um, it's an aging squad that is not the same. I mean, like, you can... How, how, how long are we going to wait for a kind of Modric to Modric again? How, you know, so... And it's, I'm not putting this on Modric. He's the greatest central midfield the club has ever had, I think. Um, but, I mean, the reality is there probably needs to be a bit of rejuvenation, and there's no wonder now we can understand why Zidane so badly wants to get a midfielder. Like, you know, maybe that midfielder is in the squad. It was Ceballos, maybe. Maybe it's Hamas. But I think Zidane kind of sees that need yeah. to kind of inject some fresh, uh, you know, some dynamism into the midfield, which is right now the core of our, our team. And the that's the engine of the team that carried us to three back-to-back-to-back championship titles. That engine is slowly kind of just, I don't know what the word is, withering. I'm dying. I'm dying. I wanted to talk quickly about an article that I saw on, uh, and I think it plays into this nicely. hope everyone's all right back there. <laughs> I think it plays into this ni- nicely in that it... Um, shows like what our definitional problems are because they're like this was an article on Marco where they had all of their senior writers say what should, what Real Madrid's revolution should look like and talk about the different lineups um, but every single one of the lineups essentially was the same thing we've seen every year except for in center midfield they had Pogba 
<laughs> and so, like, we're looking at and then it's, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I don't know what to do with you. That, that would, like, explain their lineup, but it would be, like, the same thing as last season, except for you put Pogba and Hazard. I mean, that's not a revolution. That's just two new signings. Uh, and it, it strikes me that if, if this team is really in a desire shape, as we've been discussing, as I think a lot of people think it is, then maybe we do really need a revolution where you have an entire entire reset in the midfield. And I think that would require giving way to some of our kind of sacred jewels with Modric and Kroos no longer becoming um, guaranteed starters, bringing in a bunch of other people. Casemiro also not being a guaranteed starter. I think it's probably likely that Actually, ironically, more likely that this will happen in defense with Marcelo, but it's probably more needed in in midfield, I think. Yeah, possibly. I want to kind of flip it another way, too, though, because the more we talk about it, the more I also want to say that um, if we have this, if you put, let's say, Messi in that, Messi or Ronaldo on that team that lost 73 on, what was it, Friday? Um, he's not going to prevent those seven goals from being score, really. And so to me, this also points to a deep problem of like schematic, tactical issues that the team has. Yeah. That a, a player thrown into this doesn't magically kind of transcend the tactics and put Real Madrid uh, all of a sudden in this position to win all the trophies. You can't, because like, there are players good enough to do that, but this is not something you can really rely on, that kind of way of thinking. So, um, while I do think there needs to be rejuvenation also, like, you look at the games last season, how many La Liga teams do we lose to that like are not even close to the financial yeah. level? Right? Rayo, Aikano, Huesca didn't beat them, but they were all over Girona. us. Um, I don't know, Real Sociedad, Alaves, Girona. Betis, Girona. There's just like an endless amount of teams we lost to. Yeah. And you put Mbappe in that team. Like, you shouldn't need an Mbappe to beat those teams. No. You, should, you have enough firepower to do it right, you know, with the team you have. So... Um, there are schematic issues. By the way, like with like Modric, we can say he's declining all, all we want. You, you look at Modric when he gets the ball, it's like, what is he even supposed to do? There's nothing, there's no outlets, there's no one to pass to. He's being swarmed by three, four players. And then all of a sudden we have to, we blame him for declining, you know? So there's like, there's a lot going on. And to me, I don't know, Zidane just, I'm not gonna say it's, he, he, can, he can or he can't, but he has to figure it out. Uh, from a schematic point of view and be less predictable with his attacking. Yeah, it has to be a total tactical change as well. And that's what I really was amazed me about this article that they were talking about, how it was going to be a revolution, and then the revolution, that they, like there was no revolution. There was just the same kind of schematic that we saw every year for the last five years and with basically the same players. So it's like the revolution that they're talking about is just doing one or two big signings, which... The reason I brought it up is because I just I, I agree. I just don't think that's what's needed. I actually think that with the team that Madrid has right now, they could still put together a squad that would challenge for every title, but they can't do it if they don't actually rethink some of the ways they've been doing business their entire Ronaldo era. And they tried to do that last season. It failed. Um, we can debate why that failed. And I think everyone in this room probably has their own view of why that failed. But it failed, and now we're going back to Zidane, and we're seeing a lot of the same ideas kind of rehashed. Yeah. Um, do you have... T- 
tons more you want to say about the athletic? I mean, I guess technically this is an athletic game. It's more like state of the club, but yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any specific points you wanted to make about the athletic game. Not necessarily. Like, like I mentioned one of the podcasts we did. Um, like, I don't think anyone really cares for a deep tackle analysis of a preseason game. Like, in April, May, no one's going to remember what we're saying about this game. I don't think. Um, I don't think we're going to not remember this game. But you know, it's funny. Matt and I were talking on the podcast a couple episodes ago, and we were talking about preseason moments that stuck out. And I mentioned one. I think it was two thousand three. Uh, where Real Madrid beat AC Milan 5 1 in the preseason. And this was like peak Milan with like, you know, every, that dream team with Pirlo and Shevchenko and Maldini and Nesta, Sejdorf put on the list, Rui Costa. And they were all playing and Real Madrid were playing with their B team. And like, it didn't really matter. Like, Real Madrid essentially 2003 2004, they started their decline and Milan was fine. So, like, that is just an extreme example that, you know, this game I don't think is going to tell us how our season is going to go. Like that's not revolutionary yeah. state. Like it's 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 a shitty thing that happened that you hope that the team can learn from. And the reality is, and and, and someone mentioned this. We were we were talking off air before everyone got here. That you know, not even all the players have joined the squad yet. We still don't know which players are going to be here and not going to be here. Um, you know, Casemiro's coming back. So there's all these little things. But in terms of match notes, I would just say like it was. The mood was somber, just being kind of behind the scenes a little bit. The players were pissed; they didn't really want to stick around. Not that they ever do, but especially after the game like this, they were. Um, it was not a great atmosphere to be around. So that's all I got. Yeah, maybe two questions. Yeah, let's jump into uh, some of our Patreon questions, and then um, I'm gonna invite uh, one of our other managing Madrid. I don't know if anyone knew, knew this, but we have another managing Madrid person in the house tonight. So I'll invite her to join us briefly, um, just to give your thoughts about the game, because you were also there. Um, or, you know, we can talk about Asensio's uh, crazy ex-girlfriend. <laughs> there's, a, there's an article that Jess wrote about this. You can go read it on so I, I say, It's legitimately still one of my favorite things that ever happened. That's so, so intriguing. <laughs> We did a whole show about it um, also so, <laughs> a while ago. Um, all right, so uh, as always, you know, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Um, a lot of you guys are in the house tonight, um, but uh, we have some of our friends joining us uh, via uh, the normal channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The old so, school method. The old school regular method of actually, you know, sending us questions. Um, and we're just going to jump into those. And those always produce some um, some good discussion. Um, uh, Rovi Tagia Vasas, uh, the season has not started yet. There's yet there is already chaos at Real Madrid. Crisis. That's true. He's right. That was like the whole thing on Cope and Cadena this entire week. So yeah. cool. Um, why does this? Uh, why do these things happen to us all the time? Why always me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Zidane has been wanting to get rid of Bale, and now when he was so close, Perez blocks the move. Why, oh why, do I feel like maybe, just maybe, Zidane will walk away again? We still have the same midfield as we had last season. Our main striker still is Benzema, and we have a manager and board who are, it seems like, having issues with one another. This really does sound we will have another awful season. Cool, really. High energy, good vibes. <laughs> 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 um, 
Feeling great, thank you. I'm gonna need that. Uh, <laughs> so, Kian, why, why always me? Yeah, I mean, uh, out of everything in that question, I think one thing was interesting, and that was it was, it was all interesting. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> no, you know what I meant. It was all interesting, but one thing that stood out to me was the Zidane thing, and like, will he, will he leave? I like at this point, Zidane will have no excuse. Like, you know, when he got up and left. Like, that was genius from him um, last summer because he left on, on a high note. And he's the only, you know, I mentioned this on the podcast, but he's the only coach that has left Real Madrid in his own terms in the modern era, really. So um, if he leaves now, he's not leaving a situation where the club failed him. He's failed. Because he's, he's had a bunch of time now to implement his system. He's picked the players. He's decided which players he wants to send out on loan from Ceballos to whoever he decides to keep out of Hamas and Bale or whatever. Um, if a tipping point is, for example, Bale staying, he is, he's making an unreasonable request to find a suitor for Bale. And I think like, if there was ever a time for Zidane and Perez to start to see a little bit of tension in their relationship, it might be over something like this. Whereas, yeah. like, you're insisting on selling a player that nobody wants. We're going to Asia, like, and even they are not willing to pay a transfer fee. And now, like someone mentioned, it was reported that Jose Luis Sanchez maybe said that for twenty million they might sell him. But like, if that's what is on the cards, like, look, like Zizou, like we tried, like we can't. No one wants him. Like, use him. So like, if, if it's if it's stuff like this that is, um, which is insane. I mean, it's it's fair that no one wants him right now, but it's insane that uh, they can't figure out a way to like incorporate and make use of a player who only, like, recently was one of the better players in the entire world and has still, when he is fit, right, absolutely has top ten potential and, and explosiveness. So I, I know I'm a veiled defender, but, like, this is – it's a, I, I mean, I, I understand the reason that it would be better for everyone, I think, if he moved on, but, like, it's crazy to me to think that there's just – like, the relationship is so broken that it would be a catastrophe if – of this type of player who is this good has to stay at Real Madrid. Yeah, but on one hand, I, I, I completely see what Zidane's point of view is. And, like, this is coming from Bale Defender Ultimate. Like, <laughs> like I, I won up you in Bale, Bale Defender. <laughs> I don't think that's true. But, but, like, even me, like, this past year, it was impossible for him to defend. Hard, yeah. Like, it was literally like you watched him play. I can understand the frustration of a coach not knowing what version of a player he's going to get on the pitch. You know, yeah. we talked about this a million times. Like, people hate seeing Lucas Vasquez on the pitch. They really, like, loathe him dirty. Uh, poor guy. He works really hard. Um, but you're a manager. You're putting Lucas Vasquez on the pitch. You know exactly what you're going to get. You're not guessing, like, is he going to do this? Like, he's going to defend. He's going to help the wing back. He's going to take players on, successfully or not. He's going to do it. With Bale, like, so many times his body language was so off the season where he would have so much space in front of a uh, wing back to attack, like, and he just wouldn't. And yeah. there was no reason not to. Like, Bale, like, two years ago would have blitzed that guy. Um, shooting from distance, or even when he has a, a little opening to shoot, he wouldn't shoot. He would just take the ball, recycle possession, pass it backwards. And, like, this was Bale for so many games this season. And, like, you can't, I can't defend that. So yeah. like, I completely understand Zidane's frustration because his point of view is this. Like, okay, this guy, he's not really contributing. Um, he's happy making an obscene amount of money in arguably the most beautiful city in the world. Great. That doesn't help me. I'm glad you're happy, bro. But, like, that doesn't help my team. So I, I get why he's frustrated with that situation. But he also doesn't understand, like, what are you going to do with him? You can't. 
you know. So that that I get his point of view, but like I just think that like if you can't sell him, you gotta you gotta make it work. And you're gonna see increased demonization of Bale in the Spanish media as this goes forward. Oh, yeah. Just FYI, exactly. it's gonna be very very unpleasant. But for example, they came out with a story today that said Bale family and he quashed the move to China because he doesn't like to eat Chinese food. It's like, cool. That's, and he's not learning Mandarin. And he's not learning. He's like, I will, I will not learn Mandarin. Like, his Mandarin isn't good yet. He still needs a translator. Um, all right, Ian, Ian Marley has a, a little novel um, for us today. No, we love it. We love it. Um, but there are three questions, so we're going to approach each of them. But we're going to have to do it a little more lightning round because it's not rapid fire. Yeah, we'll try to do it rapid fire. Um, Ian says, I personally don't think it's excusable to be beaten 7-3, which could have been 10-3, by your rivals just because it was a friendly. Sure, you may be less fit, but to be humiliated like that? Sergio Ramos' comments on Atleti playing the game like a final is BS to me. You always run, turn up in this games and play to win. If you don't want to win, then now, when will you want to win? So he's talking about Sergio Ramos' comments after the, after the match, where he was like, we showed up to play like this was a friendly, and they showed up to play like this was a final, which I think irked a lot of people. And personally, I think it's pretty fair that that irked people. Because in our, like here, we don't get to see Real Madrid play that much. Like, come and show up, man. Like, I get it. I understand. We cover this team for, for a living. Like, we follow them all the time. I know that they don't, we don't want them to approach these games too intensely because they might get injured. But, like, also, show up. Don't, don't be mentally shut off just because you think it's a friendly and the other team won't be, won't be trying as hard. That sucks. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess the reality is from the team's perspective is like, yeah, you mentioned this on the podcast a lot. It's like a lot of this is for fitness reasons. It's to get back into shape. Um, so, uh, from a club point of view, they may very well be talking internally and couldn't care less if this happened. I'm sure they care on, on some level, but uh, the reality is they they're really looking at preseason in a completely different way than we do, and certainly a different way than all the tourists that should show up who want to see their favorite player play and. Uh, Often won't even get to because you know they'll be resting, they'll be on the bench. Like you know? where, where's Kubo in these matches? Sorry, um, yeah. <laughs> Kubo, Kubo didn't play. In DC. He didn't play in DC though. Yeah, he didn't play. All, so him and Rodrigo, I think, missed the game against Arsenal. Like, or Bayern, I can't, I can't remember. But like, there were a lot of Japanese journalists uh, at the game to see Kubo play. He didn't play. But like, you know, that's the club has the right to decide. That, so. play, right? yeah. um, second question is. The singular approach to breaking teams down by pass, 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 cross is becoming a bit mediocre, especially now that we have continuously lost height by the punchers of Ronaldo, soon to be Bale. Our set pieces are not that good either, because as recently as I can remember, our set piece takers have been so underwhelming. Rarely see any play centrally, like through balls and such, despite us having players who can deliver surgical passes, uh, Isco, Kroos, Modric, and good runners, Azard, Vinicius, Rodrigo, Vasquez, etc. Um, it's not a question, but it's an interesting point. Um, I think it's, I personally think the idea that Madrid doesn't play like through balls and play through the center is a little overblown. We did see some of that, but it's, no, not, it's not a lie to say that Madrid's like strength has been on the wings. Yeah. Well, like, 
there's a lot of truth to that. But I think, like, you know, we, I did a podcast with Michael Kaley earlier in the season, or before last season started, actually. And uh, it's interesting. We were talking about, like, the analytics about, like, crossing and stuff. And it's statistically, it's, it's one of the lowest yeah. possible goal outcomes if you're trying to score from across. Um, on the one hand, at peak Zidane ball, like 16, 17, the amount of chaos and offensive pandemonium that that crossing scheme created was like impossible for teams to defend. Yeah. So like at its peak, you know, Marcelo and Carvajal putting elite crosses in, overloads and, you know, people cutting this way and that way, Ronaldo and Bale in the box, like it, it works. Yeah. It, it does work. Um, but I'll, as soon as you peel away all the layers of like, you know, Ronaldo gone, uh, Marcelo declining um, last season, like all those things that become much easier to defend when instead of going around, like you said, it's because fast guys in the box. So um, there is truth to that. Zidane just probably has to move on and revolutionize his style a little bit. Yeah, and uh, one of, that's a great show. I would encourage everyone to go listen to that. Um, Michael is a really brilliant guy. And yeah, yeah. Very interesting to talk to about this stuff. Um, and what, one of the things that the statistics and analytics revolution has shown us is that cutbacks like the second goal for Atleti um, are one of the highest chances, highest XG mm. chances thing that we can do. So mm. having wing players that can cut it and get to the baseline and cut it back actually is a really good thing. And Madrid has a fair number of those. So I would, I would, if I were an analytics guy talking to Zidane, and I'm not, despite what all of the people who message us on Facebook think, uh, <laughs> I would tell him to think a little bit more about getting the ball into those areas and then flinging it back into the box from closer like that. Um, all right, so last question from Ian. He says, do you guys also feel that if Zidane persists with similar starting 11 lineup from last season, we'll basically be going into the new season with the same rot from last season? I see nothing changed within the system he deploys and tactically from last season except Azard. You might change formations, but if the team is not tactically astute to defend and transition well, no amount of players can win us anything this coming season. We've sort of discussed this yeah. already. I think yeah. we... Um, I don't have much to add. Yeah, to I don't have much to add. Talk, add but, yeah. we, we've discussed, sorry. So Varun also asks us, how much of an impact will this derby game have on the confidence and mental health of our players and coach? need to do self-care. That's true. Um, I know it's a preseason game, and most importantly, Zidane didn't start with his starting 11, i.e. Casemiro, Baran, Carvajal, and Benzema. So what, what's the effect of this on, on player and team health, uh, mental health like? To be honest, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Maybe you guys have uh, a view on it. I don't know. But either way, like, I, think, I don't think the players will take a, like, a mental battery from this loss. I think the fans will freak out way more than the players. So that's my Why opinion. always me? Yeah, I agree. Um, and finally, Dos Santos asks us, uh, do you think that Zidane will remain under any circumstances this season? Let's say, if, I think what he means by that question is, even in the worst case scenario, worst case where scenario. they stick with him. So, for yeah. example, he says, if we lost all of our first 10 games 3 to nothing, would he still stay on? It's, to me, it's very clear the answer to that is no. Of course well, not. We're Real Madrid. 3 no first 10 games this season? Yeah. First, I mean, if Madrid loses the first five games of the season three nothing, I think he's probably gone. Yeah, there's no chance he's safe. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't, I honestly don't think Zidane is that untouchable where he can just do that. That's what. Yeah. Let's do the math on that. Ten games. That's three thirty goals conceded, zero goals scored. Yeah. Yeah, he's fine. He's gone. He's out. He's out of there. He's out of there way before that. Thing, so no. 
Um, if you're talking like, is Madrid like in fourth place after you know ten games? I mean, it'll depend a little bit on how the how the team had played. But even in that circumstance, Zidane might be on thin ice, frankly. Yeah, and and the way the way I would fully expect it to happen if that situation arises, that hopefully it won't, where Zidane will have to leave, it'll be a situation where he'll probably be asked to resign. Yeah, I don't think they'll publicly just fire him like that, but everyone will know what's happening. Yeah. All right. Um, that are those are uh, patron questions, at least from. Uh, the Google Doc today. Um, I'd like to take this moment to invite Jess Howen up. Hi, Jess. Hi, Yeah, being taller than me is actually a big moment. Um, I'm usually never taller than anybody. Hi. You're in the hot seat. Um, welcome. You were at the game last night. Uh, Friday night. <laughs> I planned my whole weekend around this game being last night, and it did sort of ruin everything. Every plan that I had, I didn't get to go, which is you know probably now for the best. But like, and yeah, so not good. Uh, so, what was your? I mean, what was your experience? Why don't you tell us a little bit about like what the atmosphere was like, and like, you know, what was your experience in the stadium watching that battering? Uh, well, it's absolutely frustrating for us. The last time I saw them play, they won, so I was kind of hoping that that would be the same <laughs> here. Um, I had fun anyway. I mean, we were stuck in the middle of a bunch of athletic supporters um, with like a bunch of Real Madrid supporters in front of me. It was a very even mix. Um, but it was just, it was really cool just to be there and actually get to see my team play for once instead of just watching on TV. Uh, I was a little frustrated with my friend who came with me because she decided that she was an athletic supporter uh-huh. for the game. Um, while she was wearing my Real Madrid scarf, that somebody brought me from the Rebeo. So I take it back. <laughs> take the scarf back. Trash. Trash friend. Take the scarf back and dish that friend. You didn't, didn't go home. Find a different way home. Bye. Trash. Get out of here. Well, well she drove. She drove you. Yeah. Steal your car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so just in case anyone... Um, interested, Jess um, and I are starting, or part of the group, you'll see it soon, that are uh, starting a show on this, on the Magic Madrid Podcast Network, which will be um, covering Real Madrid Feminina. uh, Our first episode actually will probably come out tomorrow. Um, I just wanted to let you speak a little bit about you were telling us earlier about some of the players that are on what is what will become Real Madrid in um, uh, next year, but it's currently CD Tacon um, and some of the incorporations they've already made. So, um, so we've got a, you know we've got a couple of players that are just coming on this year are with uh, Kosovar Aslani and Taisa Moreno coming out of Brazil. Um, should be a lot of fun to watch them play. Uh, people who have already been on the team. I mean, there are some pretty neat ones. There, our main goalie um, actually got kicked off of Atleti um, for celebrating the Real Madrid victory over uh, Atletico in the Undecima. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, re- the reports came out and said, well, her contract wasn't renewed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Probably we have a couple. T- we have a set of twins on the team who are um, dual nationals between Spain and Azerbaijan, and one plays on the Azerbaijan team, uh, national team. 
Um, I think my favorite story, though, is um, a player that we picked up from Cordoba um, who was actually a medic as well and actually saved the life of one of the opponents mid-game um, last season where their one, one of the players just went down in the middle of the field and she went through her standard, okay, is this head, is this leg? And then it turned out to be low blood sugar and so she was able to step in and take care of her. So, yeah, we've got some pretty good, pretty cool people coming on um, in addition to incredibly talented people. Uh, I'm particularly interested and psyched about um, Azlani, who is la largely and has been just widely described as the female Zlatan Ibrahimovic, <laughs> who will be joining the team. I'm extremely psyched. That's very cool. As a huge fan of Zlatan, um, we're all in this. That's how we're in this podcast. We stand Zlatan, so he rules. Um, shut up. <laughs> I have that. <laughs> all right, Jess. Thanks. Uh, just howling, everybody. <laughs> so I think we're gonna do open it up to a Q and A. Um, yeah. If you guys want to ask questions, just have a dialogue. I think that'd be awesome. Um, you can. I think the best way to do this is have you just ask us. We'll repeat the question into the mic, and then that way it also gets onto the. You know, actual show. I, I hope this works. I have no idea. <laughs> Literally never used this before. So, cool. <laughs> I don't want to make you be like a, a mic waiter. <laughs> it's fine. Just talk loud. Just talk loud. <laughs> don't I just ask us, and I'll repeat the question if people can hear. Brandon. So, do you think if Pochettino was in charge of the game, do you think that would be a better option right now with the way the team's looking? You think that Good question. All right. So the question is if... So the question was, uh, Brendan hates it, Dan. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, get him out, trash. We hate him. <laughs> the question was, if, if Pochettino or someone else was uh, the coach of Real Madrid right now, would, that, would he be able to sort of fix these issues with the squad as it stands now? Honestly, maybe, yeah. I love Zidane, but... Um, I'm not sure, as we discussed earlier in the show, I'm not sure that these issues are squa on a squad level. I think they might be on a tactical level and systemic, like, like systematic level. So, yeah, if you bring in someone like Klopp or Pochettino or <coughs> Guardiola. <laughs> they might not. It's very gross. Yeah, I, listen, I, I've been vocal about this. Zidane wasn't my first choice. He was, I would have put Pop ahead of him easily. I mean, Pop, like, he, he, he ticks all, all the boxes for me. Like, you know, he is, he is kind of a Maridista, not openly, but he is. He an, definitely is. He is, uh, he is an anti-Kule. He hates Barca, and um, 
he his brand of football to me is breathtaking. I love watching Tottenham play. I think it's amazing what he's done with the limited resources they had. Um, they didn't sign anyone last summer, and they picked up a great player in Endombele this summer. I think they'll be really good this year. But, um, yeah, Park would have been my ideal choice, to be honest. Um, but Zidane came at a time where, you know, Florentino wanted him in. To me, it would have made sense to just wait until the summer and see what you can get. Um, but I also do understand the thinking of Z- uh, Florentino saying, if we can get bring Zidane back now, let's just get him in as soon as possible so we can see the problems up close and address them. So, but yeah, I, I agree. Also, Tottenham's money is real good right now. Real good money in Tottenham. They've just dropped $80 million in Dombele, and they're in the market for Dybala. That's what I'm hearing. So, that, uh, that actually... They'll be good. They're going to be real good. Yeah. Um, I would, I would also say, like, I would also say there is, I think, a long-term strategy with Zidane in that a lot of the French players who are really good want to play for him. So even if he has his issues tactically, you are going to, like, if, if one of the things that we'd really like to see is Real Madrid manage to get Mbappe or someone you're going to have an easier time attracting the highest end of the French talent by just by having Zidane uh, as coach. I want to play for this guy. He, he was my idol forever or whatever, right? Mbappe especially. It's like he's the person that everyone we're all thinking about. And, like, frankly, with Mbappe especially, uh, even if it's not this year, like, he has made – Madrid has made very clear that down the line that they're, like, to get him. And it's possible they're holding their, like, the purse strings kind of tight right now because they want to get him. They just feel like it's impossible right now. And you keep Zidane in the mix, and you're much more likely to get Mbappe or the other elite French talent, I think. Um, so that's kind of an additional thing. Yeah? Uh, so um, what do, you, like, do you think that Zidane was using the tactic like, in this game against the Flanko Madrid? He just used – Tactics before what he had before because he doesn't have all the players yet that he wants, so he was just using recycling the old tactics. And maybe when the season starts, he's gonna start using you know take each game by the way he does, you know, like basketball approach. But I think it's a bit unclear. Yeah, I ask, let's say the question. Oh, sorry. Uh, the question was, do you think Zidane got, went into like the game using his the tactics he wants to use in the season, right? Um, oh, or, he, he used before. Or his old tactics, old and he's waiting for you know all the players to come back and everything before we see something new. Yeah, exactly. uh, there might be some truth to that. I think the reality is it's very hard to implement any preseason tactics at all generally because the team is so, um, you know, there's so many players involved, like any, like all the Castilla players, like De La Fuente, uh, Javier Hernandez, like all these guys are not going to be anywhere near the A-team, and these guys are playing in the preseason. So it's going to be hard to implement any tactical ideas in the preseason, so there probably is a little bit of truth to that, yeah. Yeah, that probably is. Um, that being said, he hasn't been, hasn't, in my view, clearly shown us that he has tons of other ideas. So we'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John? Dave, yeah, following up to your friend's point, uh, you know I'm a big Spain national team fan supporter, and we're down to eight Spaniards right now. Um, one of them is Asensio. Some popular players like Vasquez and Nacho were obviously in there. <laughs> um, and, and we've sent out a lot of folks. Llorente, Ceballos, Vallejo, Leguilón. Um, one, what your thoughts on that one as someone, uh, proud Spaniard and someone who isn't, but also how is that likely to increase the pressure politically 
from us, from the board, from the fans of things over That's a really good question. So John's point is that Spanish, um, there's been sort of a Spanish exodus this summer um, with some of the elite Spanish talent leaving Real Madrid or getting loaned out, which is important, I think, to the answer. Um, and we're down to eight, and a couple of them are not the players, like the high end of the chain type players. And the extent to which that will change narratives about Real Madrid from uh, the Spanish press, which is an incredibly important question. Because the Spanish press has a huge amount of sway, as we know, at Real Madrid. And uh, they have their own agenda. And they always push an agenda of making Real Madrid more Spanish. Um, And I think it's certain. And I think that if we end up in a situation where the team isn't performing particularly well, and let's say Madrid goes out and gets Pogba, there's going to be a narrative that talks about, like, the French is like francophonization of this team. Like, do we really want Real Madrid to be like the French and Belgian team when we could be Spanish? Like, are we losing their identity? All of that stuff. Like, that, I think that's a real concern, at least that I have. Um, but that's not a concern of the team itself. That's a concern about the way that Spanish press covers the team. But unfortunately, there is a lot of. There is a pipeline from those people who are covering the team on in these like shitty dailies to the board. So like that narrative, despite how how wrong it might be or how you know how much we don't like it, is something that we have to think about a lot because these people listen to what these people say, um, and they have a they have a role in deciding the future of the club, which is terrible. Yeah, it's, it's a great point, you know, so like for every argument that we can we can say, you know, Zidane has all these links to these French players, um, dude, can't forget there's a lot of freaking talented Spanish players that uh, that Real Madrid actually has on the books, like it's not even that like they don't, they don't exist, like there's a ton of talent in the youth ranks, and we lost Yorente, um, and you know how gutting that was to me, but like you, and you, I like I've spoken a lot about this with Eduardo Alvarez, so two of you all know, right, um, he's a bit of socio- so his perspective is always interesting to me because he, he always comes from this social perspective, like he's been in socio for 25 years, um, Spanish, he's, he's a Marileño. So for him and a lot of those people, this is very important. And, you know, right, it's also like, if you go by the rules too, like you need a certain X amount of homegrown players and whatnot. So you need to fill that quota, obviously. But European players, though. European they, players. They count as homegrown, if they're European, I think. Uh, I don't think so. Huh. European, you got you have homegrown players, um, and then a certain amount of your homegrown players have to be. Those are those are nationally um, developed, but then you also need half of those players to be uh, from your youth level, youth level. So I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a great point, and um, I guess the good news is that like Regulon, we haven't lost him yet. He's he's on loan, and uh, hopefully we'll have a great year under Lopetegui. But you know, using Yorente does suck, and so. Part of the dilemma, and I, and I know it's really, a lot of fans don't like to look at it the way I'm about to bring up, and I've had people say this to me on Twitter very bluntly, but like, but I'm just gonna lay it out there. Just, very just, understatement. Because like, you know, when the whole thing between Solari and Disco, if you remember, for example, the feud was, to me, between a very talented player um, and a short-term coach. And to lose a very talented player for a transitory coach who's going to be there for a few months doesn't make sense to me. The flip side of that is you have to give your coach full control. 
you can't just tell your coach, you're only here for a few months. You have to let them do their job. Zidane, I kind of see the dilemma with Zidane and some players in a similar way, where if if Zidane is actually going to be here long term, he's going to implement this vision and this future that is really exciting, then by all means, like, he should be doing this. Um, but I always do wonder, and this comes, this brings the sporting director into the discussion that doesn't exist right now. Uh, because to me, this is where, like, a Manchi is the answer to all of this. Where he looks at the club's identity, he makes sure every coach that comes in the pipeline fits that identity, and in turn, every player that comes in the pipeline fits that identity, which doesn't exist at Real Madrid. So you always have this weird infrastructure that is kind of like, and this is why we have so many contrasting eras that football is totally different. Um, and people say, like, what is Real Madrid's identity? We kind of know what it is. It's direct football, it's Maradismo, blah, blah, some intangible stuff. Um, but it's also... Um, it's hard to answer because it's so different from era to era. Like, you know, it's with players and coaches, so to, some, to, to, to basically sacrifice Llorente for something like this is, is where I'm getting at. It's like, and to your point, it's like, you know, some eras are going to be that Spanish phase. So we had that Dutch phase um, yeah. earlier from like 2006, 7, 8, 9. Um, we're going to go through a French phase at the end, which every phase will be different, and that's fine. But... Um, it is an interesting point you bring up, and I think the answer to that is going to be very subjective, and there's not going to be one right answer. Someone like Ed is going to prefer what you said, stick with the Spanish players, and uh, the, the French kid with the Pogba haircut wants the French player, so. You <laughs> have. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sure. Um, so, considering the lack of uh, depth at our defensive midfield position, do you think. Uh, um, he actually hasn't played that role. Oh, sorry. The question was um, with the lack of depth at this, the defensive midfielder position, can Militao play that role? Um, he actually hasn't played that position much because I remember doing a scouting report, a couple of different ones. So one with Tiago Esteva, who was that Portuguese scout, and he was telling me all about, like, you know, this idea that Militao is a defensive midfielder, he doesn't know where it's coming from because he doesn't really play that role. Um, but um, I think the answer is pretty easy. Zidane won't really have a backup defensive midfielder in his team. So what he'll do is basically just um, reshuffle the team to have Cruz play deeper, um, or if there's a new midfielder, kind of whoever that might be, and just kind of put players in deeper position than they're used to. We might see Fede Valverde there, which like we talked about a little bit. Some For some weird reason, the entire Twitter universe thinks that Valverde is a defensive midfielder, and if you bring up anything otherwise, <laughs> you're you're a terrible analyst. But the, we don't have a single we're game. We don't have a single sample size game of Valverde playing that position. I'm sure maybe he can do it, but um, the answer is like there is no defensive midfielder back for Casemiro. It's just going to be a mishmash of whoever's Zidane puts there. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. And I also um, let's say Madrid does. I mean, there was a headline in Haas I think yesterday or today. It was like. Pogba is now inevitable. They have to get Pogba, um, and they will. That means, and so that like, and they all are assuming that, and that's kind of crazy. Uh, but if someone like Pogba comes in, I think if Casemiro gets injured, or if they want to try the different schemes or whatever, it's very possible that what you'll see is what very upsettingly Pogba sort of trying Zidane trying to kind of force Pogba into that role, which is. Um, 
Pogba's more of a box at best, like a box to box at best, but like he's really not going to be playing a Casemiro style defensive midfield role, and it's kind of crazy to think that 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 he would do that, that 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 would work for him. Um, and I'm worried that all of these and like a lot of these analysts assume that that would be the immediate replacement. So essentially, that that schematic thing would work, but I just I don't know. Yeah, I think it's going to be there's going to be no. Or like, oh, we all know that Fede Valverde is a defensive midfielder, so obviously he'll do that. Do we any more questions? Yeah? Yeah, so Chris uh, Moore obviously definitely considers, considers himself like the first keeper, just for his recent comments. And, you know, he got severely booed on Friday, and obviously he takes five goals, etc. I'm wondering... So I'm wondering, like... How much responsibility do you guys feel he bears in those five goals? And just ultimately, do you feel he's going to be up to snuff yeah. when the season comes? Yeah. It's a good question. So, what is Courtois' responsibility when it comes to the goals, and is he going to be up to up to it? Um, I I tend to feel that the keepers bear very little responsibility for goals, especially in matches like this where. Um, people were shooting from <laughs> five feet away from him when no one was closing them down. Um, the first goal was clearly not his fault. The second goal was not his fault. I don't, I can't remember the, I can't remember an obvious incident where Courtois was at fault, and he also had a number of very good saves, yeah. so um, I think at, there are questions in my mind about, and we saw that in a little bit in the Arsenal game, whether he is really this kind of sweeper-keeper that Madrid may want, but I, I don't fault him at all for this. I think he is getting unfairly pitted against a very popular and very good keeper in Kaler, who we all love because Kaler's amazing. But it's not Courtois' fault that he is like pitted against Kaler Navas, who's kind of a Madrid institution, sort of. Um, in the end, I think they're going to figure this out. I don't really know, and it may end up in like a Casillas and um, uh, Diego Lopez situation where one of them is starting the cup game from starting La Liga games, but, and that wouldn't be the end of the world, but I always felt like for a while Madrid didn't have any depth at that position, and then Kaelin Alves got injured, and we saw how, how much of a catastrophe that was a few years ago. So having depth at the keeper position in my view is a good thing, so. Yeah, I echo what you said about the goals conceded. There was no way you could fall Courtois for those. He saved a few point blank, too. <clears throat> I find Courtois fascinating because, um, I've never, I don't, I don't remember a player quite being so, um, what's the word? No, no fan base seems to, to like him, gravitate towards him. You know what I mean? Like, it, he's, he's hated by Chelsea fans. Everyone hates him. He's hated by Atletico fans. And Real Madrid fans don't hate him, but he's in this weird, awkward spot where, like, everyone loves Kaler so much, <coughs> excuse me, that, uh, that he kind of, for unfairly, just, the fans don't really gravitate towards him, you know? Like, he's just kind of there. He's just part of the squad. He just shows up. And uh, people get mad at him because Sreemdu can't defend him. He, now, mind you, I'm, I'm not a huge Courtois fan in the sense that I don't think he's, you know, one of the elite goalkeepers in the world. I think he had that at Atletico and then it's dropped off and he hasn't been at that level since. But um, I do agree, like, that going from Keylor Navas to Kiko Casilla in the past, that drop-off was so crazy to me that I'm just happy to have not that drama. Yeah. I mean, he did have a. I mean, he was pretty good at Count Chelsea, in my view, and he had a, 
if you, the advanced numbers kind of bear that out. Not a, a, I think last year, a year or two ago, he didn't have as statistically good a season as W did have, but he did have a like very very high level um, uh, expect like actual goals versus expected goals allowed. Like that ratio was for him was very good. So he, had, I mean, he still does have it. He is an elite shot stopper, and um, I don't have any like problem with him. I think the issue is that he is also very outspoken, and like he's got that little bit of slapping in him, which I personally love. But I, I understand that people find get that rub the people the wrong way. Okay. Yeah. Um, do we have other questions? <laughs> Megan just whispered in my ear. She's French. She says his name means he's nice and polite, which I find <laughs> very <laughs> ironic. Oh, it's like courteous? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So his, his last name, we've <laughs> just informed, means courteous. Thibaut courteous. In French. He's really apt. He's like exactly, it's amazing when you find someone whose name is exactly matches their personality. <laughs> Uh, I also have Raphael. Oh. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask um, how much how much credence do you lend to the reports about um, Sergio Ramos's envy of like Hazard's salary and that being like a schism in the locker room? And if if you do lend credence to it, how severe could that end up being? I doubt it. So essentially, the the question is how real is the idea that. Ramos takes issue with Hazard's salary, and would that create some drift in the locker room? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what the answer is. Sorry, I, didn't, I don't know if you... I like, if, if Gabe made more money on this podcast than me, I'd be like, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just running a better scam. The, no, I, I, I think it might be a thing concocted by Sergio Ramos' agent. That's the theory I've had. But there's all... Because whenever he wants a raise, he, there's, like, some something leaks to the media about, the, oh, is there going to be drama? Like, if he doesn't get more money, it's like, wow, I wonder who could possibly be benefiting from those reports. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so that's... that's the, I, I mean, no, I don't think so. I, honestly, I don't think that actually... That and like I actually think a lot of rumors about players disagreeing or disliking each other because of how much money someone makes are leaked by their agents. Yeah. I actually think it's like a thing that's created that drama, quote unquote, is created, is manufactured to get their players more money. Yeah, I, and I, and I mean we can kind of take this back a little bit to earlier in the summer when Rene Ramos, Ramos's Sergio's brother, also agent, um, leaked the uh, leaked some Who's stuff. His brother, his brother, Rene Ramos. What did I say? No, no, that's right. I so. Oh, you thought Rene was a girl? Yeah. Okay. No. Uh, so this is, this whole saga with that came to the, the media the where Flor, where Ramos talked about he feels like his relationship with Florentino wasn't the same, uh, felt a bit underappreciated. Um, so you know, we can kind of just take that into consideration that like that all that was leaked by his brother initially, and so to your point. Uh, and then Florentino comes out and he says, um, you know, Ramos is like my son, and all of a sudden Ramos feels good again. So, like, all these things, you will hear uh, agents leave things for that reason, and ultimately, like, how do I feel more appreciated? Oh, here's more money. Oh, I feel loved again. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, this is going to be a little bit more comment than question, but a little bit 
just get a little feedback. Yeah, man. Um, so I read a really like scathing article today from Monica uh, that was talking about how you know this past year we had you know just a really lousy year, obviously in the, in the La Liga and, and going out to Ajax in the Champions League. We talked about you know coming into this new year, Zidane. Uh, you talked about revolution. That's what you kept hearing. Revolution. revolution. Yeah. Kept saying, well, it's really kind of flatline. Because the only real signing that we've produced this year has been Hazard. Mm-hmm. The only real turntable signing that's going to produce really any turn quality is going to be this Hazard. Aside from like Militao, who you're come bringing in. And so you have, you have various players, but there's really no revolution, in quotes. My problem is, though, isn't so much this, this idea of revolution in terms of the players. I think the quality of players is, is there. We yeah. could use a midfielder, we could use, there's a couple spots where we could fill in some gaps, but I think the quality of players is there. I would say, though, like watching the the, the loss the other night, you know, and, and just watching how like last season ended, I feel like it's it's kind of for me it's on two things. It's Zidane's inability to motivate his players at times, and I also I'm beginning to doubt maybe his tactical ability. So I don't know if you guys want to comment a little bit about that, but. The quality of the players is there. Moldrich, yes, has seen a drop off, but you know he's still a phenomenal world class defender or uh, midfielder. So it's for me, it's not so much anymore a player or a staffing problem. It's a it's a it's a tact- tactitional or a tactical problem. Yeah. Yeah. So the question and comment essentially was that um, there was so much noise about a revolution in the squad after Real Madrid bounced against Ajax and they, they had that week from hell they lost two Classicos and then You were there for that Yeah, it was worth money. Um, I hate to see it And so where is that revolution um, and if it's not with players where is the tactical revolution because it, it doesn't seem to be apparent yet anyway and so I think it's an interesting point to bring up I remember speaking to Sid Lowe about this and he was he was he was following the idea that when people, when Zidane said revolution, he didn't necessarily mean a squad overhaul, but it could mean uh, an identity overhaul, um, which we also haven't seen. But then we, you know, it's, it's way too early to judge, obviously. So, um, but you know, if you think about it, there is a. It's not quite a revolution, but Real Madrid announced four signings in like a week or two weeks, whenever it was. Um, you know, there was you know Mendy, Rodrigo. Um, Hazard and Jovic and I mean we forget like Jovic himself is an insanely needed player like a cold-blooded finisher who can literally did not exist in the team since Ronaldo left so like him and Hazard to me is like can be part I think and I think if they could have Rafael I think they would have it would have been a bigger revolution I think they tried um just lack of availability the market is what it is yeah I mean like the dream round of signings and like an Mbappe is not going to be available for another couple of years. And Hazard was the biggest name on the market and Manchester United don't want to sell Pogba at all, even if he wants to leave. So there was always, I think they tried, you know, I, I, I also think they tried when Ronaldo left. If people said, why didn't she replace Ronaldo? Like, they, they tried. They, the market was really tough. That's definitely right. But also, um, I look. I love to dunk on Marta, and I would love to do that here. And I'm, go- I'm going to because they suck, and they're wrong. They're, I, I, I mean, their whole thing. That entire premise of this article essentially is that Jovic sucks, and Mendy sucks, and Militao sucks, and that's just not right. So they can 
suck it. <laughs> they're wrong. No, they're wrong, and they're and it's it's the trash take. Jovich has gotten like maybe forty five minutes of combined time total in this, or like maybe one total game. He is twenty one year old, extremely talented goal scorer, and he's played in a bunch of games where Real Madrid hasn't been able to get the ball out of the back, and like. They're like, oh, he sucks. That sucks. He's bad. Trash. Bad signing. It's like, he played three shitty preseason games where he barely played in any of them. So, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's that. I think the premise is trash. I also think, um, I actually don't hate, I don't hate the idea that the narrative is out there, though, because it might make them, it might make them more willing to uh, spend a little bit more money. But we, we all know they have it. So spend a little bit more and go get Pogba or go get someone who will satisfy these ghouls and like make them calm down. Although it's true that in my view nothing will satisfy them ever other than like, you know, making recreating the 2010s era Barcelona on Real Madrid. That's the only thing these people want, really. Joao Felix is, is place. I mean, they would then complain about the Portuguese guy. I mean, like, it's just, it's, you know, it's not what they want. What they want is to create a super team with only Spanish players. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, Madrid, even, you know, I, I, I don't hate that this narrative is out there. It might encourage Madrid to go get, and get that midfield depth that we all know they need and that midfield rejuvenation that they all know they need. But I also... Don't agree with the premise of the article. And it's, I think it's trash. Um, I think you think that too, though. That's like, that's it's always fun to bring up Marca articles because they suck. We love to talk about it. Yeah. Finishing balls. I didn't even think he would even get possible. Yeah. But it makes you wonder how maybe Hudson Adin isn't really what he's practically. Yeah. I mean. We've definitely raised questions about Zidane. Yeah. Uh, just a random comment that I thought about the game. It's nice to see Ben's still wearing his finger brace. Yeah. 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 Strong agree. Yeah, I, I think he's going to just wear that forever now. Because that it just clearly makes him a better player. I think it wasn't on right in the last couple of games. Maybe he needs to like reshuffle like how he puts it on, but yeah. it clearly makes him stronger. Oh, it's happening. Lucas what? Lucas got oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. I missed that. Oh, he's okay. coming back. Right. <laughs> Is it like Look the long one, one like, that Thanos has that like, he can put over his hand? Just over his arm? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, that's exciting. That's exciting. Great. 20, 20, <laughs> goal, 20 goals from Lucas Vasquez, like right now on the book. It's happening. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm originally from Mongolia, but I lived in Japan for a long time, so uh, I'm very excited Welcome. about Amazing, man. Uh, Kubo. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Woo! Yeah. Uh, Stan Kubo here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, even though he was uh, signed for Castilla, um, what are your um, opinions on him? Do you think he was signed mainly for uh, marketing purposes, or is he really going to make a difference in the future? So the question is, uh, Kubo, is he, has he been signed for marketing purposes or is he an actual football league signing for the future? Um, 
I, I, I think the answer can be both, to be honest. Um, Florentino is smart. He knows that having a player in that kind of market is great for the team's publicity. Um, like we saw, like there was like a million Japanese journalists who traveled with the team during this entire preseason. I bet you they're going to have people on site covering Castilla. No question. Um, I fucking love him. He's so good. I really like him. Like he's like, I I had I didn't know anything about this guy, right? Um, until I obviously we signed him, and I read about the history. The fact that um, we also screwed over Barca to get him is like literally like he makes him even like at a higher level, like just by default. So, uh, but then you watch him play, and like in the Copa America, it was fantastic. A um, little bit raw still, but like the fact that he can actually kind of hold his own dribbling pass, like multiple players trying to push him off with his height and his frame, is really impressive. Um, his dribbling is really impressive. I'm excited to fast forward and see his career in like five years. Um, you know, you guys have heard me say this, that I'm going to be attending so many Castilla games just because the fact that we might have Kubo and Rodrigo and Raul's already there, like that's going to be a fun, fun season at Castilla. So you guys should honestly just... Uh, Watch the Castilla game. They're all for free on, on Real Madrid TV, so tune in when you can. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm sure Sam Sharp will cover them. But um, yeah, I, I think the answer can be both. By the way, really just impressive character, too. Like, he seems like a very uh, a, a person that everyone in the squad loves, good humor, um, seems to get along with everybody. Speak good Spanish. Yeah, speak good Spanish. Yeah. Speak Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Most important thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love this kid, and I, frankly, I've been following his career actually before this, because I remember when he was, like, Barcelona brought him on, and I was very jealous, because they had this kid who, you know, had this set of attributes, and it was terrifying, because it was like they're breeding a new Messi, and suddenly they brought... Like that, they Madrid managed to poach this kid, and he's a hundred percent everything that we expected and more. I mean, I I see a huge amount of, of potential in him. I see a lot of immediate benefit in having him on the squad too, which is amazing, and not something you get out of eighteen year olds very much. And I think it, it, it wouldn't shock me if this year Real Madrid had Kubo. Uh, playing, not maybe starting, but coming in for 20 minutes in games at the first team level, not just at Castilla. Like, he is he is really good. In that first match against Bayern, he was probably my my favorite player on the pitch. Yeah, he was really good. He was really good. That's an amazing thing to say when you're talking about the level of people he was with. So, I think not only is he a, a killer long-term signing, his immediate term will have benefit for Real Madrid, and there are, um, I think, undoubtedly good marketing reasons to have it. But, like, really, I think that Madrid wouldn't have made a signing like that if they didn't think he was the real deal long term. Yeah. Um, do you think he's going to play, like, <coughs> Copa, like, Copa games? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I imagine, like, especially, like, for the first few rounds of the Copa, we'll see a lot of these kids that we're seeing in pieces now probably. Yeah. Any other questions? One more. Um, so, one of the things that I've looked at is that the lack of intensity in the league compared to the Champions League. And one of the things that I see Zidane doing with the French players is bringing on people. And Zlatan said in his time in Barcelona that every player 
was like school children looking up to Guardiola. And what I see from the players that Zidane is bringing in is there's people that are absolutely in love with everything that Zidane says. Mm. Do you think that will affect the intensity that will come in the league? We know Zidane said that that's the most important competition. I hope so. The question is um, whether bringing in kind of players who really look up to Zidane and um, kind of hang on his every word and, and really are his creatures of, of like, you know, body and mind, just like in the kind of Barcelona, Guardiola era in Barcelona, whether that will translate to intensity in the league. And yeah, one would hope. I hope so. Um, I, uh, I really do. I, I also think that Zidane has been talking about this concept of intensity a lot, and I'm hoping that everyone takes it to heart and understands what he's really trying to talk about when he means that. And it doesn't just mean, like, running a ton. It means being mentally focused and intense from the first whistle, and we are not seeing that so far. So I'm very hopeful that that'll um, continue into the season. Yeah, I'm hopeful, but skeptical. Um, I just want to see it. I, because the words they only mean so much to me. In, like we saw everyone rave about Zidane's ability to motivate all of the seventeen eighteen season when the team was losing game after game and eventually fell seventeen points behind. And no one like I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, we floated around like Eduardo and I talked about this in an episode recently. We're like, how do you motivate a team that clearly knows they need to be motivated? And the coach is the supreme motivator. He's just like the stereotypical motivator, and he can't do it. What's, what's happening and like you know he would go on the press conference and say we know we need to play better we need to start better but then the next game would be the same so I'm just kind of skeptical that you know great um, it's great that everyone looks up to Zidane and respects him but you know we just kind of need to see it I think we're going to go ahead and, and close off questions and the show um it's really been so much fun hanging out with you. We're going to hang out also for a little bit longer and just chat with all, all of you. So don't don't feel like this is uh, the end for this group, but it is for you on the podcast that are listening. Um, thank you all so, so much for coming out tonight. It was so much fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah,